Hallelujah. Let your power fall. Let your voice be heard. Come and change our hearts as we stand on your word. Rain down, God. Rain down, God. Rain down, God. Whew. Lord, there's no reason for us to be here if you weren't going to be here. Lord, we're not going to learn anything, understand anything, be changed at all unless you're the one that's doing the work, oh God. So, Lord, we thank you for speaking to us through the songs, oh God. We thank you for sending the exaltation, oh God. And, Lord, as we turn our attention towards your word, we're asking that you would bring insight and understanding, revelation, knowledge, Lord God. Lord, change us. Lord, your word said that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You said to study to show ourselves approved that we might prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will. Lord, help us. It is in your word that we find our strength. We find the foundation in which we stand. Lord Jesus, you said that if we do what you say, then we are your disciples. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So pour it in, uh, into us today, Lord God, and then give us the strength and the courage to do what your word has commanded us to do. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Man, today is Communion Sunday, and it's just, just the idea of communion has just been just sitting on my heart. And as I've been thinking about it, the, the Lord just kept bringing me back to this particular scripture. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Exodus, the 11th chapter, and then keep your finger because we're going to move on to the 12th chapter also. Today, this is actually a series, but I'm not going to preach the series in sequence as I would normally do, but just know that you'll keep hearing me come back to this title, The Blood of Jesus. The Blood of Jesus. But today, our focus is going to be on cover your frame. Cover your frame. So Exodus, in the book of Exodus, we, we see how God delivered the Israelites. Now, deliverance did not come easily. Deliverance didn't come because the prophet showed up and declared, thou shalt be delivered. That's not how it happened. <laughs> The enemy said, no, you ain't going to be delivered. You belong to me. Oh, somebody know what I'm talking about. The prophet showed up and said, you're going to be delivered. And then when you try to, uh, then the enemy said, where you going? Oh, no, you belong to me. But God said, I'm going to show you who's in charge. So he sent 10 plagues. The first nine, Pharaoh just got madder and madder and madder. And, and you, know, you know how that goes is that when, when, when God said you're going to be delivered and then you start praying and fasting and then stuff just keep going wrong. And 
The more you pray, the worse it seems to get. The harder you cry out, the more upset things start going. God is still in control. But then God sent one last plague that you want to be hard headed. You don't want to do what I say to do. I'm going to show you life and death is in my hands. So Exodus 11, 1. Now the Lord said, had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. I don't want to be bothered with you people no more. <laughs> so in verse four of chapter 11. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go, up, go out throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt. Worse than that, there will ever, than there have ever been and ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at e- any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So we get to chapter 12 and God says to Moses and Aaron, gives them instructions on how to prepare for the night. Somebody say night is coming. coming. (laughs) He gives them specific instructions. He even said that, look, 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 your whole year is going to start now. Because whatever was before, whatever you've been through before, that's all the past. Now, we starting something brand new, something really different than what it was before. The year is going to start now. You thought the year started in January. It's going to start whenever God say your year start. Your new season is start when God says it's time for it to start. And he gave specific instructions on how to prepare the lamb. The, the, the sacrifice has required. Let's let's not be confused. You can't just treat the lamb any old kind of way. You can't throw your own seasoning on the lamb. You can't cook the lamb you want the way you want the lamb to be cooked. God said it needs to be done this way. Ah, Lord. And and, and guess what? He even said that, look, and if you happen, happen to be blessed enough that you have too much, you need to share it with your closest neighbor. So even if you have if you have too much, it is your mandate to share it with the person next to you. It's not about keeping it and saving it for later. But then that brings us to verse six. When he telling them about how to uh, take care of the lamb, take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frame of the houses where they eat the lamb. Then we jump down to verse 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods, small g, of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. 
See, God has already determined when and how your deliverance is going to take place. It is not like God was surprised at how Pharaoh behaved. It's not to be surprised that God picked the man like Moses to go and deliver the message. All of this is caught into God's plan. You have a date that you're going to be delivered. You have a date when you are going to be set free. You're going to have a date when the Egyptian bondage on you is broken. There's already a date been set. Now, God gave those that didn't want to listen chance after chance after chance after chance to get it right. But they had made up in their mind that they're going to do things their way, that what they wanted, their desires, what they could see was more important than what God was saying. Now, everyone in Egypt, including the animals, faced that final judgment. Everyone, including the Israelites. There's a distinction between Egypt and Israel. But the death angel passed over the whole place. Now, those who accepted the Lord's provision didn't have nothing to worry about. Those who were obedient to his instruction didn't have nothing to worry about. So let's be clear. God gave provisions, but he also gave instructions. There was a certain way it needed to be done. So let's just look at God's part and our part. God's part. God desired a relationship with his people. God wanted a people to call his own. He wanted a nation that would love and would, would worship him and he would have fellowship with. He wanted that. It, it amazes me that as flawed as we are and as much trouble as we've given God, that God wanted a relationship with us to the point that he went and took a messed up man with a messed up family with a bunch of baby mamas and created a nation. You know, people say a lot, a whole lot of stuff. But when I look at who God picked in order to become the father of his nation, it's like, dude, you could have picked somebody else. So I'm saying this to all of the conservative evangelical Christians that write everybody off that don't fit your cookie cutter of what it's supposed to look like and saying God can't use them. Read the book. You're wrong. It don't matter how messed up and jumbled up and how twisted up it might look. It don't matter that it didn't follow the pattern that this is the way it's supposed to be like this and it's supposed to be like that and follow like that. And then now you'll be blessed by God. Read the book. That's not how it worked. Some of them past was crooked. <laughs> there was a lot of drama. Now, I call it complicated. The world call it messy. But we saying the same thing. Lots of stuff that shouldn't have happened the way that it did, but it did. Oh, Lord. But because God desired a relationship, he said, that doesn't matter. I'll work with it. That doesn't matter. I'll work it to get. I'm, I'm speaking to someone out there that understand that God said, I will work it together for your good. And you're looking at your situation and saying that it's too complicated. It's too hard. It's too messy. How could this ever come together? And God is saying, I will work it together for your good. God will. Not you. Ooh. He created this nation. He created us for his pleasure. 
Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You know, God wanted a relationship with us so much that he didn't even leave us when we rejected him. How easy would it have been to say, Oh, y'all want to listen to the devil, huh? I'm done with you. I'm done with you. Next. They was just dust anyway. Just going to make some more that might listen. Y'all remember that old saying back in the day where the parents would say, I brought you in the world and I'll take you out and it don't matter because I'll make another one look just like you. (laughs) Now you go to jail for saying stuff like that. But if God didn't desire us and God didn't love us enough, how easy would it have been for him to get rid of us and not give us another chance? God desired a relationship. Then he actually communicated that desire. When Adam and Eve went off, he called out to them personally. Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? God was the first missionary calling us back to himself. Then he sent messengers to send the prophets, sent judges to tell his people, this is what I want. He didn't have to do that. And then finally he gave us his word, the living and written word, because he wanted us to know how much he loves us. It's too bad that that word has been used to beat down and judge folk. When the Bible clearly said God did not send his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't send Jesus to tell us how bad we were. He sent Jesus to open the door for our salvation. So he desired it. He communicated that desire. Then he provided for that desire. God provided the lamb, the perfect sacrifice, the second Adam that got it right. His death was planned. It wasn't an accident. Before the foundation of the world was laid, the Lamb of God had already been slain. It was already happening before it even started. You work with that for a minute. (laughs) It's God. He doesn't work within time. He starts, as Miles Monroe said, he starts at the end and then backs up to the beginning. (laughs) The son willingly gave his life for us. And then God provided instructions on how we were to get in on the things he provided. He told us what we need to do. If you're hungry and someone says, I got some food for you, but you got to go here at this time to get it. If you sitting wherever you are and didn't go where they told you to go at the time they told you to get it, then don't complain about starving. God did his part, but now following the instructions is our part. So we're going to take a lesson, and this is the core of the message here. We're going to take a lesson from Israel. In this passage, there's so much. Minister Jack, there's so much. From the beginning to the end, there's so much. You, you can talk about this 
one thing of Israel being delivered in so many different ways. But there's one thing that the Lord brought my attention to. Verse 7, Exodus 12, verse 7. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lamb. First, we're going to talk about this blood business. It's why we do communion. And unlike our brothers and sisters who believe that the, 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 the juice and the bread is actually translated into the actual blood and flesh of the Lord, we believe it's just juice and crackers. Some people have wine and crackers, whatever denomination you from. But that's what it is. Just juice or wine and crackers as a symbol of the blood and the body of our Lord. Just want to make it clear. But when we see that symbol, we see that symbol of of blood, we think about life. Because living things have blood. So if it... (laughs) Jesus... So if you see blood, you're like, something had this blood. It came from somewhere. Blood don't just show up by itself. If you see blood spilled, you know it came from somewhere. There was a life that was attached to this blood that you're seeing. So when we look at the symbol of the drinking of the blood, then you understand that there was a life that was attached to that. And that symbol of blood is a symbol of our redemption. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So no matter how much good you do, if there was no blood that was shed, then your sins could not be forgiven. Our sin is a rejection of God. When Adam and Eve sinned, we died. So if we are going to come back to life, we need more life to come back. So that life is represented in the blood. So when we see the blood, when we understand the blood, we know that there is life attached to the blood. Now, you've heard me say this before. Death doesn't stop life. Life stops death. For those that are not Christian, that don't make no sense. But for those of us who know what Jesus did and how he rose from the dead, then you understand that the death ended when the life came. It wasn't about the life ended because of the death. The death was just a pass through. Because on the other side of the death, which was only for a couple of days, on the other side of that was the life. So we know that when life shows up, death ends. So when we see the blood, we know that there's life attached to that. So that means that that symbol of the blood, when we see the blood, it's our symbol of hope. Because Jesus died on the cross, I can have a hope for something greater than what is right now. Because Jesus washed me in his blood, I can have a hope that my life can be better than what it is right now. My heart can be better. My mind can be better. My spirit can be better. My eternal destiny is better because the blood of the lamb has brought me through. When I see the blood, I understand I have a hope. So no matter how hard or difficult the situation is, when you know that the blood is attached to it, you have hope. Because why would God send his son to go through all of that if it wasn't to give hope? What might seem impossible now, but when the blood is applied to it, when the blood is applied to it, death got to pass over. It's got to pass over. 
when the blood is applied, death has got to pass over. So whatever that death is that you've been fearing, the blood is applied, the death got to pass over. See, sometimes when God gives you something to do that feels like it's so much bigger than you and you feel like you're going to die, remember your hope is in the blood. Because of the blood that was shed for you, the thing that God has given you to do that makes you feel like you're going to die doesn't mean anything because the blood has you covered and the death has got to pass over. Because some of us are stuck right there. God wants you to do something, but I feel like I'm going to die. But if you're covered in the blood, you're all right. You're all right. So I'm going back to the symbol again. I'm getting too worked up. Let me calm down. That's the blood. But the blood was over the door frame of the door. But the blood wasn't put on the door. So why is the door? What's the door got to do with it? Well, when you see a door, a door is an entrance and an exit. It's an opening. It allows stuff in and it keeps other stuff out. It draws the line between the world and me. The outside and my inside. There's got to be a door. <laughs> Woo! Some of us need to shut the door. But that's a different message. That door protects from the elements. Human elements and natural elements. We were watching a movie. I don't even remember what it was. And the people that were misbehaving were called the elements so it became a, a, a thing for me for a while it's like oh people acting elemental <laughs> they acting a little elemental those are the elements well your door keep the elements out But then we know that there's the natural elements that nobody can do anything about. And that's the stuff that we all have to deal with. Like when it rains, everybody getting wet. That's just what it is. And ain't nothing we're going to do that's going to stop it from raining. It's going to rain because God said rain is coming on the earth. So there you have a door so that when it's raining outside, you go to the place where it's not. You out here in the storm and you're like, ah, I'm getting wet, God, help me. It's like, go inside and shut the door. Why are you standing outside in the rain? There's a door. Go through the door. Oh, Jesus. When there's stuff going on on the outside, you got to know where your door is. And you got to have control of the door. Mm. And, and here's the part that, that the Lord really spoke to my heart about. The door actually protects your privacy. You, do, you, do you know that not everybody need to know your business? Not everybody need to know everything that's going on. Why? Because it's none of their business. They may not be able to handle seeing what you got. So the door, when it's time for me to be vulnerable, when it's time for me to, to be naked before God, I might have to shut the door to everything else so that I can do that and feel okay. Because if you got your door wide open and you're trying to be naked, then if you have any kind of modesty or fear, then you're doing like this. And you cannot be naked like that. Not comfortably. Not receive anything from God. 
So those that are having a hard time of being vulnerable in front of God, being naked before the Lord, maybe you got your door open. Close the door so it's just between you and God. There's some things that you need to discuss and have a, and be before, bring before the Lord that don't have nothing to do with anyone else. And you need to take that time to know where that door is, close the door, so that you can. Because it's important to be open and honest with God. But the instruction that was given to us wasn't to put the blood on the door. It was to put the blood on the frame. Now, it's, it's pretty easy to see if you had a door that was not attached to a frame, then the door just going to fall over. The door looked like it's doing something, but as soon as you do something, it's, op- it's open. No more protection from anything. So there has to be something that holds your door in place. There's got to be something that holds holes the thing that keeps the opening secure in place there's got to be something that holds your privacy your intimacy the parts that's just between you and God in place that's the frame so what is the frame it's our thinking it's our emotions and it's our behaviors just let me take, walk with me. You'll get it. Whatever it is that I've made up in my mind, that is the thing that secures my door. See, if I didn't make it up in my mind, if I didn't make it up in my mind, then my door is either it can be open or not open and don't nobody know. It don't make no difference at all because my mind is not made up. There's no stability in someone who does not have their mind made up. Once my mind is set on a particular thing, now my door is secure. Now I know what I let in. I know what I kick out. I know what I need to be protected from because my mind is now secure. Same thing with my emotions. That frame, that's my emotions, is how I manage what I feel. Has, have you all figured out yet that you have to manage what you feel? Oh, that was a week. I got a couple. I got a one strong amen over here. Amen. Thank you, Deacon. But have you realized you have to manage what you feel? Your emotional and mental health is your responsibility. This came up in Sunday school last week. Someone made me feel like it's like. No, someone did something and I felt this in response to the thing the person did. My feelings are my own feelings. Period. If someone else outside of you actually has control of your feelings, then you have given them too much control in your life. And this is how I know that this is an absolute fact. One person, you could do this to, and it means nothing. Then you do it to another person, and then they go all off the the rails over it. So the same action by the same person 
elicits two different responses. Why? It's because what that person was feeling within themselves is their feelings. The external part is just a catalyst one way or another. But what you feel is is what you feel. What you do is what you do. That is not on somebody else. No, pastor, you wrong. They made me mad. No, you got mad because of what they did. Because they could do the same thing and you cannot get mad. You, that, you haven't learned that yet? Or I know some of y'all are old, old as me, y'all, so I know you had been through a couple of things. And if you're not as old as me, you, you, you're coming close up behind. <laughs> so by the time you get to be my age, you realize that the person did something and I can choose whether to be mad about it or not. <laughs> uh, and then after you, after the Lord has truly delivered you, then most things people do don't make you mad. You actually see it, understand it, put it in the place and keep it moving. Once the Lord has delivered you, I am not at that place of deliverance yet. Sometimes that putting it back where it belonged might take a minute. I'm just telling you the truth. Sometimes it's like. And everybody know my face tells most of the story without me saying a word. So the face is reflecting what I'm actually feeling. And it may take me a minute to get it together. It might take some counsel. (laughs) It's like, D, what? (laughs) What just happened? And like, huh? Okay, I I hear what you're saying. I'm going to need a minute with that, though. If you don't have that person, you're in trouble because there's got to be somebody that can check you. There's got to be somebody who can look you in the face and tell you, hey, look at what you're doing. Look at what you're doing. It's got to be somebody that can do that. If you don't have somebody, you are in trouble. So my frame is my thinking, my feeling and my behavior, because what I do or do not do is my choice. When people say, I do not have a choice, that is actually not accurate. That is an imprecise statement. We always have a choice. Now, for some of us, some things we say we don't have a choice because the consequence of is contrary to who we are and what we believe. So now I have not given myself the choice to do that. It was actually a choice, but I have not given myself. I have said that is not okay for you to do. So now I can say I don't have that choice. I cannot make that choice because of this. Now, it is within my will to do and not do. But once I've made my mind that that's not okay, then it's just not okay. This is the frame. But the frame needs to be covered by the blood. My thinking needs to be covered by the blood. My emotions needs to be covered by the blood. My behavior needs to be covered by the blood. We heard a, 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 a testimony this morning about the, the Sunday school class that we're going through that the, the brother is saying that at, at work is like, but Lord... I have to stop. 
I have to stop. I have to check what I'm thinking. I have to check, check where I'm going with this. Why? It's because the brother has taken, the ser- taken it seriously about the battlefield of the mind and realizing that my thoughts, my emotions, and my behavior needs to be covered by the blood. So I just can't think and feel and do anything. It's like, Pastor, but you just feel what you feel, but you don't have to wallow in it. You can feel it, but you don't have to sit in it. Jesus. 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 Because the feelings come even without you looking for them. They show up, but you don't have to sit in it. Sitting in the negative stuff is a choice. If you know Jesus, sitting in it is a choice. So it must be covered by the blood. And what happens when I apply the blood to the doorframe of my life? The blood sanctifies what goes in and what comes out. The blood lets in what honors Christ and the blood keeps out the things that are not acceptable to him. When I sanctify the doorframe of my house, then that door only opens for the things that God wants it to open with. And whatever on the inside that don't belong, once I find it in there, it's got to go out the door. Because see, that door is a line between Egypt and me. Ah, I might be part of Israel, but there's got to be a line between the outside world and me. The people that were in the houses with the blood still were the children of Israel. But if they had not prepared the lamb the way they were supposed to, if they had not followed the instructions the way they were supposed to, then they would not have been able to come under the provision that God made for them. Ah. Let the blood sanctify your thinking. So you can defi- so you can draw that line, and the blood sanctifies against attacks, people and things of this world. When I my mind, my emotions, and my behavior are sanctified by the blood of the Lamb, people can do whatever they want to do. They can say whatever they want to say. They can act however they want to act. But if my thinking, my emotions, my behavior is sanctified by the blood, then when the judgment comes, it's got to pass over. See, when I'm covered in the blood, even when people accuse you of something, that stuff got to get filtered through the blood. So one of the two things that happen, either the accusation is right and then you understand that Jesus came and died on the cross so that you can be free and now he's brought it to your attention. You got to fix that. You got to fix that. Or the accusation is just a lie and the blood of the lamb has already set you free. When we're talking about sanctifying, the attacks, life happens. Stuff happens. You can be minding your business, doing your job, doing the best you can, pouring out all you can, and then here he come. Here she come. Running their mouth, spilling their stuff out all over your life. But if you have your thinking 
and your emotions and your behavior sanctified by the blood, then you know that it don't matter about those elements and how they behave because I'm standing in a place that is safe and that door can't be shaken because the frame has been sanctified by the blood, has been strengthened by the blood. It stands because of the blood. You ain't knocking my door over. You'd have to take out the frame and you can't take out the frame that is covered by the blood. Hallelujah. And the blood sanctifies those intimate, tender, vulnerable moments between me and God. See, the enemy wants you to think you can't be completely, absolutely honest with God. He wants us to think that that somehow that he ain't know you thought that. That somehow... God didn't know you felt that. (laughs) He wants us to think that he don't know about Trevor with the saxophone. (laughs) But when you're thinking, your emotions and your behavior have been sanctified by the blood... You can go, God, Trevor had a saxophone. It was bad enough Trevor showed up, but Trevor had a saxophone. And God, he was playing my song with the saxophone. Playing the phone. God, 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 I was here. Next thing I know, I was there. Lord, Lord, Jesus, help me, God. But when your frame has been sanctified by the blood, you can close that door, have that conversation with God, listen to what he has to say about it, feel his love, feel his care, feel his patience, feel his power, and he'll just bring you into his arms, put you together again, and make you ready to go out and deal with what you got to deal with. But you got to be able to have that kind of conversation with God. When you've messed up completely, when you can't even look yourself in the mirror, when you've done something that is so completely contrary to who you want to be, you can go and have that conversation with God. If your thinking, your emotions, and your behavior are actually sanctified by the blood. See, because this is what happens when you... if you are not in that place where your door is secured because your frame has been sanctified, then you'll make all kind of excuses and reasons why you did what you did. It'll be everybody's fault why you did what you did, not because there's something wrong with me. I tell you, I had a conversation with my bishop and I told him about something I did. And his, you know, his response to me was like, yeah, I know. I remember when that happened to me. (laughs) He said, I felt the same way. So I know what you're going through. (laughs) Why? Because the thinking and the emotions and the behavior 
have already been sanctified by the blood. So that door that protects my privacy, now I can be vulnerable. I can be open. I can put everything out there because God has already sanctified my thinking about it. I know when I'm right and I know when I'm wrong. God has sanctified my feelings about it. Yes, I have these feelings, but that don't define my whole world. That does, it doesn't stop just with what I feel. Those feelings aren't my facts. God has sanctified my behavior. So I know that this is what I can do and this is what I can't do. And if I've made up my mind I can't do it, then I just ask God for the strength and the courage to not do it. So what's the conclusion of this thing? Judgment is coming, but the blood has us covered. Remember, why did, why did all this happen? God wanted to deliver his people, right? He wanted to deliver his people, but there was obstacles standing in the way. Now, so God had to deal with the obstacles in order to defeat, to, to break the bondage of the enemy. Now, they walked out free from the enemy, but they still walked out with their own stuff. Oh, Lord. When the judgment comes, when that death angel is passing over. And can y'all see it? Because if, 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 if you can't, I'm, I'm, y'all going to have to pray. We're going to have to do another fast, Pastor D. Because if you can't see that the death angel is passing over, if you can't see that the judgment of God is coming against this world, against our nation, against our state, against our government, if you can't see that the judgment of God is coming, you're missing it. But if you are covered in the blood, If you have put the blood of the lamb on the door frame, then your door will stand secure and you'll be inside and you'll be fine. That's why we do communion. That's why we do communion. But but understand this. The instructions on how to treat the lamb are God's business. We are not the author of our own salvation. Therefore, we don't get to make the rules about what God wants and doesn't want. If you have not treated the lamb right, there's a problem. If you have not honored the lamb, that's a problem. Mm. Can you imagine if God said, put it on the door frame, the sides and the top of the door frame? And you decided, I'm just going to put it on the top. That'd be good enough. I'm just going to put a little on the left. That'd be good enough. That's not what he said. That's not what he said. He said the top and the sides. So we got to apply the blood the way he said it. It's like, well, pastor, what does that mean? Well, read the book of Matthew. You will get a very clear picture of how the blood needs to be applied, how that looks and how we're supposed to walk with that. It's a very clear picture that has been laid out for us. Why did I emphasize this so much? Because Pastor D has been warning us. She has been warning us, said God said it's time to move forward. God said it's time to move forward. She's been saying that people will die in the desert because of disobedience and not doing what God says. She's been making it really clear. 
really, I mean, real, if you ain't hearing it, then you don't have ears to hear. But she's been making it really clear that this is where it's at. So each month we come and we sit at the Lord's table. Each month we come and sit at the Lord's table. And if we didn't understand it, well, Paul spoke to the Corinthians. For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, meaning if you have natural needs, eat at home so that when you come together, it may not result in judgment. So I want us to stop for a moment. With every head bowed and every eye closed, is your door frame covered by the blood? Is your thinking, your emotions, and your behavior covered by the blood?